everyone and welcome to another Scotswayhe podcast and today I'm joined by writer Angela Jackson to talk about her novel The Darlings but I think we'll talk about a whole lot more. Hello Angela. Hello Alistair, how are you? I'm well, I'm really well. So first of all, can you give us a synopsis of The Darlings? Yeah, um, I'll try and do it without spoilers. <laughs> so it's, it's about... Um, it's about a man who doesn't feel loved, essentially, if I had to boil it down to one sentence right. um, and how he copes with that. So Mark Darling is the is the main character, um, hence the Darlings. And um, when he's a when he's a, a teenager, he accidentally kills his best friend. And up until that point, he's been um He's been sort of golden boy, you know, this kid who just kind of is in all the sports teams and does well at everything and is really popular. Um, and uh, and then this happens and he, I guess he goes into a downward spiral, really, um, until he, he meets Sadie, who uh, he eventually marries. But he, he experiences, that, and his parents die between his, him killing his best friend and meeting Sadie. His parents also die in a car accident. So he, he's really kind of a, he's, he's a bit of a lonely figure, really. Um, and even when he does become surrounded by people, he's still quite a solitary figure. And I just think, I think that resonates with a lot of us. We all have those periods where, those moments where we can be in a room full of people but really be aware of how alone we are yeah. <laughs> um so so it's about the impact of um what carl rogers called unconditional positive regard how um how it can transform us carl rogers was a psychologist a humanist psychologist who talked about um how important it was to feel to feel seen, to feel loved for who we are. And, uh, and I just thought about the impact of, you know, what happens if we don't feel seen or loved and what happens if, you know, something terrible happened to us. And I, and I think him killing his, his best friend was something that happened to him as yeah. well as to his best friend. You know, it was just a terrible accident. Um, and I just think once, you know, once you get the character, um, you, you're away, really. So I started with him and and I suppose it's his journey to trying to feel uh, loved for who he is, trying to get to that situation where he's loved for who he is. Yeah. And because when we meet Mark, he's with Sadie and what on the outsider you might think, settled I'm doing inverted commas there yeah 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 uh, and then that's where the story kind of it takes off and I said we don't want to give any spoilers away but what inspired you to write this story um I suppose it I suppose it was that I started off so I used to teach psychology so um and same with my first book as well I started off with this you know this uh this psychological question, what would happen to somebody who Carl Rogers would say is unable to thrive? 
because he, he hasn't got the core conditions. So I started off with that. And I also read um, an article about somebody who'd accidentally killed somebody in a different way, somebody who'd, who'd accidentally uh, run somebody over. And I just thought, imagine, imagine living with the knowledge that you've taken somebody off the planet, mm -hmm. that you've that you've cut a life short, that you've affected everybody else that that affects. So death doesn't just affect the person who dies, of course. So, and I just thought that's a, that's a massive thing to live with. Um, so that's sort of where I started. And I'm very interested in, um, in relationship dynamics. So I did a lot of research on um, uh, Esther Perel's work mainly. And she talks about, you know, how important it is to, to feel seen by your partner and feel valued for who you are. And um, so I guess that was my starting point. I think once I had that, really, I was sort of aware, you know, I kind of, I, the, sto the, the story wrote itself. Yeah. <laughs> but it's sort, I think if you start with character and, and a concept like that, I think it's it's easier to run for me rather than to start with plot points. So I, you know, I tend to start with character and, and this, you know, psychological question. Um, yeah. And you know, you said that it's about um, feeling loved and a kind of stability. And you think again from the outside, and you you there's other characters who are friends of Marks and Sadie's and all that. Um, that his hard times are behind him. He's been through that and here he is now kind of brought back in. But actually that's not the case. There's mm -hmm. the, the novel is about what happens next and how perhaps that feeling of being loved isn't in, in the right way. That's not, the, that's not what I mean to say, but it's, there's almost a performance aspect to the relationship, isn't there, between uh, Sadie and Mark? Yeah, yeah. So... Um... So Sadie is, uh, so by, by, by trade, she's a mender, she's a stitcher, you know, she, she fixes um, uh, costumes, um, theatrical costumes, and she also uh, mends, you know, uh, she, she works as a tailor as well. So she's a mender, um, and that's, that's just kind of who she is psychologically as well. She's, you know, she's well suited to her job. And she found Mark broke, literally found him lying on the pavement, broke. Yeah, picks him up. Yeah, yeah pick, literally picks him up and gets him to A&E. And, &E. and, um, and so I could really see what was in this relationship for Sadie, you know, and that's what I was talking about before about dynamics, you know. I don't know, I don't know if you've ever been with around couples who you just kind of go, Oh, I know how that works. I know what's going on. And it's and it's like that for Sadie and Mark, really. Mark is Mark is kept on track by Sadie. And Sadie gets to to keep fixing him and mending him right. And um it, he has to stay broken for that to for mm. that to work, right? So in order for that relationship to continue in the in the same way without any intervention or without them changing things, the deal is that Mark has to stay broken because Sadie likes to fix. 
it's not a criticism of either of them really it's just it's an observation of how some relationships work you know the deal the deal is this I do this you do that and it works and if any of us change then suddenly we've got a bit of a problem on our hands yeah um and of course that there's a change yeah <laughs> well it is interesting that kind of falling into roles that you both understand but then when one of the there's a change in any way and it, it could be anything then the other person yeah it, it causes friction yeah and I, and and I think it would you know I'm talking about them like the people now but they are for me um I think it it, it was very difficult for uh for Sadie to understand why everything that they had and they have a lot you yeah. know everything that they have uh, wasn't enough for him um at, at, at one point in in the book and so but that's because he doesn't feel unconditioned he doesn't know that that's what it is he doesn't know oh it's be you know it'll be the Carl Rogers thing of me not feeling unconditioned you know it's, he doesn't think I haven't got the core conditions in place he just knows that there's there's something there's something missing for him um you know he has they live in this quite substantial if a little broken and the, the house is a bit of a metaphor for their relationship really but they live in in this house that was left to him mm -hmm. um so his, his grandparents left it to his parents and you know and he uh is taking it over and you know, it needs rewiring and replumbing, and just like their relationship, you know. Um, and so they have this big mortgage-free house. Um, Sadie's pregnant. They've they've gone through IVF, um, and you know they finally achieved this pregnancy that they both wanted. They both wanted a child, yeah. and so. Um, you know they've they've both got jobs he's he's also trying to become a, a a comedian so sometimes at night he he does these comedy gigs and um that what he doesn't realize is that is to feel the love yeah. you know he needs to feel the the warmth of 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 the odd that audience laughter you know there's something um i've done a, a little bit of stand up and there's something about it's not applause it's that involuntary action of laughter there's something incredible about that about making somebody laugh that's that's better than making somebody you know just okay. give you a round of applause and so yes I, I, he he stands on stage and sometimes has a, a hard time standing on stage doing his stuff because he's craving that uh, that 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 hole, that gap, whatever is missing, he's trying to fill it in various ways. And it, you know, in the book, you see the you know the various blind alleys he goes down to to fill the gap. Um, yeah. You know, he's he's a man. He's a man in bearable pain. Mm -hmm. You know, it's that, you know, mo most men live lives of quiet desperation. And I think I think a lot of people live in quiet pain and they don't quite know why. And I just think that's fascinating. I just, you know, um, 
as somebody who studies and and, and has taught psychology, I just I just think it's very interesting what what people will will bear, what they'll what they'll put up with, and and how they'll avoid fixing it sometimes you know the things they'll do to avoid fixing it you know uh yeah yeah do you think we still underestimate the power of events in childhood and how they affect us as adults because that's at the heart of the book here yeah I, yeah i wonder if we do actually um i you know i i, I think sometimes just just the slightest comment can can really throw you off and I can remember feeling um really seen by my English teacher Mr yeah. Douglas so I you know I um uh w did not have a a, a a traditionally lovely childhood and I definitely came from the the wrong side of town and so you know the school I went to there there was you know there was I was one of the chief offenders there was a lot of messing about yeah. um and I was you know one of the kids at the back messing about um but I was I was seen by by Mr Douglas and uh and he made me think that I could do more than I thought I could do and so I, I wouldn't be a writer if it weren't for Mr Douglas I wouldn't be a writer um but also, conversely, I had a maths teacher who who threw the chalk at me and said, are you stupid? Yeah. Um, and I thought, God, yeah, I can't do maths, can I? And it was because I changed schools and the school that I'd gone to, so first year senior, the school that I'd gone to, we hadn't started algebra yet. Mm -hmm. And so this new school I was at, there were suddenly letters on the board in maths, right? Mm -hmm. And so... I put my hand up and I said, what are all the letters about? Um, and so, yeah, chalk. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and then I, I, saw, I, I disengaged from maths, really. Mm -hmm. So, so I think, I, I think those, those casual, something that happens every day in, in schools all, all over the world, um, I think that can affect you. But I think also, um, you know the 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 bigger more profound things so my my mum died when I was seven um and I think I mean I've just spent a year in psychotherapy and I I can't believe that most weeks I talked about my mum because mm -hmm. I thought that was yeah. a long time ago you know but more or less every week my mum would kind of come up you know so I'd be talking about something that felt unrelated and and i have to say it was freudian an analysis so it's you know it's it's all going to be about your mother <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah i mean i i think i think I'd, i i thought i'd put that to bed i thought i'd kind of you know and i and i did say to my therapist i'm kind of getting on my nerves a bit really because everybody's mom dies that's kind of yeah. you know and and she shepherded me back and said yeah no not everybody's mom dies at seven not everybody's mom died in the circumstances that you're so so yes I think we we do a lot to cover up our pain 
you know, and I've I've certainly, you know, um, and I wouldn't say this to anybody else, but I say it to myself. I tell myself to get a grip, you know. That's and and that was a lot of you know my my tone in therapy was I need to get a grip really and she she was saying well no you don't get need to get a grip you need to acknowledge the pain from childhood and so I think I think you're right I think you know a lot of us cover our our pain from childhood because we think you know we're at a different stage in our life now and we need to get a grip and we need to get on with things and the thing one of my favorite phrases that I say all the time is come on crack on like you know get get going don't don't be don't be whinging and wailing over stuff just you know um and so it, it was good to be able to examine that in the book actually to examine um the effect on Mark, the, the, the effect on Mark, even though he didn't quite know what the effect was on him. Um, and also to look at, I'm fascinated to see how people cope. You know, if you spend any time with anybody, you can see what's going on for, for them. You can see if they're dealing with pain and how they're dealing with it. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you said that you came up with the character of Mark first and everything kind of came yeah. from there. And a, I, I said to you before, it's not always a, a, an easy book to read in that it can be uncomfortable at times. But how was it to write? Were you surprised by how what Mark went on to do? Yeah, sometimes I was. Um... I should probably I should probably rewind a little bit because when I say it sort of wrote itself, um, you know, you might think, well, why did it take you seven years? And and <laughs> so my first book was seven years prior to that, um, and I was working as a as a psychology lecturer at the time, and and I just had massive imposter syndrome because the first book did really well. Yeah. Um, got to number two on Amazon, number one in comic fiction. And I just thought, I'm not a writer. It won Edinburgh Book Festival's first book award, Waterston Scottish Book of the Year. And it sent me into a bit of a tailspin, really. And so I, I went back and I did a master's in creative writing. Mm-hmm. And I completely lost my voice. I, can, I, do, I tried to... I then tried to write how I thought writers wrote, right? <laughs> and so, um, and I, that's, you know, that's not my natural voice. And so I showed the result to my agent and she, she said, where, where, have you, where are you in this? Where, where's your voice? And I was trying to do, I was trying to do it right, you know, and I said, well, I, you know, I'm, I haven't got any qualifications in writing. She said, no, you can write. And now, of course, this is what I say to my own students because I teach creative writing and, I, you know, um, and I, I try to really nourish that in them. You know, if you can write, you can write. Yeah. And so I lost my voice. And thankfully, um, somebody who had championed the first book, Scott Pack, um, was working for for uh, a, a publisher, and um, he was doing something that was completely unrelated. And we met up for a cup of coffee. He's usually based down in London, and we met up for a cup of coffee. And he said, "So where's the second book?" And I said, "Oh, I, I don't know. It's in a drawer." 
And and he said, but what? And I said, I'm not doing it anymore. I can't do it. And so he said, let, let me see it. And it, and it took a lot for me to let him see it because because yeah. I'd convinced myself that I I couldn't write that that I was a bit too lightweight, and so he read it um, and he had some notes which is great, and so I took the I took the notes and did some rewrites and sent it back to him and and he said yeah we'd we'd like to publish it, and so. Although it didn't take, if you add up all, all the all the periods that I sat at the keyboard to work on it, it didn't take me that long to write because the characters led me through it. But actually, um, it took me a long time to recover from that imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. I think we all struggle a bit with that though, right? Oh, we do, definitely. No, no doubt yeah. about it. But it's interesting that you had this successful book, which would say to everyone, I'm a writer. And then, you know, it, that's, that's so interesting to hear that, you know, you, that actually going to a master's course or a creative writing course was absolutely the wrong thing, perhaps. For you it, it was the wrong thing for me. It was the wrong thing for me. Yeah. Um, in fact, I won the, the um, Edinburgh Book Festival uh, first book award while I was on the course right. and still didn't go into my head just you know it made me feel worse in fact it made me think I can't do what I want to be I can't do this you know um yeah yeah no I was I was absolutely I was I was out of writing and that was that was me done I got distinction as well <laughs> you know um yeah so so it took me seven years. I can't remember what the question was because well, I said it was about being surprised by what Ooh, yeah. did. But what that's that's really interesting to hear that. So it was taken over seven years. When was it after Scott said, Yeah, we're happy to publish this that you that you fell in love with it again? Or yeah, yeah, it was. It was. I did, and and I think that's a, a lovely description of what happened. I fell in love with it again. And and I love the characters in it. I love, I love all of them. I love Mark, you know, even though he makes some daft choices, um, you know, and I often found myself sitting, you know, I usually write between midnight and three and I'd find myself at two o'clock in the morning typing away going, he's a daft sod, this fellow, you know, really, what is he doing? Um, That's exactly it when you're reading it, I think. It's like saying, you're going, what are you doing? What are you, you know, mate? You're not a bad man, but what are you doing? <laughs> That's exactly it. Mate, you're not a bad man. Come on. You know, um, but but yeah, it, it was, it, I mean, he's a great character to write. I loved writing him. Um, but also, you know, um, Ava, you know, is Sadie's, Sadie's younger sister. Yeah. Um, so... Ava is a, I don't, I don't say it in the book, but she's a, she's a, a, a neurodiverse character. Um, and she was great fun uh, to, to write. So my son's autistic mm -hmm. and I drew a lot of Ava from him because, you know, if I ever want the truth, 
-hmm. about anything um I ask myself I don't know if I really do want the truth but I I get it from him so I've handed him and he's he's actually my first reader as well so I often hand him passages of work and and he'll hand it back and go you could do better than that you know (laughs) just oh god okay right and he gives really good notes but very honest notes and I think you know, for me, that's what I want as a writer. I want really honest notes. Um, so so I, I did, I fell in love with them. Um, it's not that I fell in love with, with the, the, the book or the, the plot. Or, I fell back in love with the characters again, I think. Yeah. I suppose it's, it, it's a bit like going home, you know. So I'm from the north of England and when I go home... I, I'm surrounded by, you know, people I love. And it was a bit like that, really. It was, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, Ava and, oh, yeah, you know, and, and Johnny, Mark's, Mark's best friend. And, you know, all, all, of, all of the characters, it was so nice to be around them again. And I, and I think I just had to have a bit of a word with myself about the imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. I think it's always a, it's always a little niggle, really, but... You just got to crack on. Do you know what I mean? I see that the, the my reaction was kind of sometimes shaking her head and going, "What are you doing? What has the reaction been to the book?" Because I, I would imagine some people have stronger reactions than others. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> <That> an understatement. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know what what he does uh, um, is is a is an awful thing, you know. Um, on paper, but uh, interestingly, um, one of the reviews I, I read was somebody who said, you know, she would normally be very against this kind of thing um, that that he did, but she kind of she she kind of got it. It was it was nuanced enough for her to to see all sides really, you know. I hope I hope I haven't pasted that on too thickly, but I what I'm trying to say is most things that people do that annoy us or that or that we find objectionable, if we if we scrape about a bit beyond the surface, we can see why they're doing it. Doesn't excuse it, mm-hmm. but it you know, we don't have to be excused. We just have to be understood, I think. You know, I think we'd all we'd all get along better if we just tried to understand each other. I'm not I'm not asking for forgiveness for Mark for what he's done. And I don't give him an easy ride either. He doesn't, oh, yeah. you know, he doesn't have a lovely time of it making the choices he makes. Um yeah, so you know, um some of the some of the 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 readers who've commented publicly um, have uh, have talked about, you know, the main thing that, that happens in the book, the bad decision he makes, um, and they've, they've kind of been okay with it. In my first book, um, The Emergence of Judy Taylor, she 
leaves her husband um, in the uh, in the first part of the book. It's the inciting incident, and I can remember um, a publisher from London saying nobody would ever believe that this woman would leave this man because you know Oliver's just blameless. He's a lovely, lovely man, and I thought, oh, blimey, pet, you've not studied psychology. You know, people don't. That's not why people leave. You know, Judy left her husband because she needed to she needed to become somebody else and she couldn't become that person with her husband. And, you know, and life's a lot more complicated than he left her or she did this or he, you know, it's it's never it's never that simple. It's never that simple. So what Mark does, I hope, I hope I've made it clear that things are not as simple as they look yeah i would say that from the from you from the writer there's no judgment you leave that up to readers to make a decision for themselves and how definitely they yeah there is there is no judgment uh, and i say that from a feminist point of view as well there is there is no judgment i think you know what what he what he does is is a bad decision but actually i i understand why he does it and you know um that doesn't mean I forgive him. It just means I understand why, why he did it. And, you know, you say uh, you give him a hard time. I should say that the book's also very funny. You know, <laughs> people haven't picked that up yet because you do put him through the ringer. I mean, you know, the things that he ends up having to kind of uh, go through. Are, are, uh, yeah, yeah. It is, again, sometimes you just shake your head. You go, oh, no. And it, I um, I know. I there's a bit that still makes me laugh um and I don't know if I should admit that really but there's there's a bit towards the end and I'm not giving any spoilers where he where he's on the floor of a pub with a dog um trying to trying to bite him um and and I just think oh god he's got himself into this situation where he's on his hands and knees on a pub floor with a dog dragging his jacket around and it that still makes me laugh because that's that's what things have come to you know that um you know he never he never went to the pub with that intention I don't know if you remember but um but that's that's where he ended up well that's the thing he often does have if not the best intentions kind of good intentions and they all go, you know, out the window uh, and, you know, it just, it's a lot of a hard work for him to try and get through what he's going through. Yeah. And, and I suppose, you know, I've given him a couple of mates who, um, who sort of operate a little bit like the reader, you know, yeah. so his mates say to him, hey, what, you know, what are you thinking? Yeah, you know, yeah. um, because I think that's probably what the reader will be thinking when they're on that page. They'll be shaking the head going, what is this guy doing? Um, and I didn't want the reader to be frustrated that, you know, that, that, that I couldn't see what he was doing, you know, that I just blithely allowed him to go down these, these, uh, uh, these dead ends so I did want to put the voice of reason in and there are a couple of voices of reason who speak to him very frankly as well yeah no, you I'm... know um but he won't be swayed <laughs> now am I right in thinking you had an Edinburgh show called the darling monologues I did I did yeah and was so, that what... yeah sorry well do you know what so that was all part of 
getting getting back into the characters again. So um, I took my two books are not connected in any way, but I took one character from my first book and I made a Mark Santi. And then I had two other characters from the book. Sadie was one of them and another character called Ruby. Um, and I played all three parts. And it was a way of me getting under the skin of Sadie and Ruby, um, of just being able to judge um, how audiences perceive them as well, really. Yeah. There's nothing quite so immediate. The thing is, when somebody buys your book, you've no idea then what happens to it, but there's nothing quite as immediate as standing in front of an audience and, and you know, performing as that character to find out, you know, th this is this is how the audience are feeling about Sadie. This is how the audience is feeling about Ruby. Um, I also had, um, uh, can I give this away without any spoilers? I think I can. I also had a full-size, life-size portrait of Mark naked on stage with me. And um, that was... Uh, that <laughs> Briefing the young artist to do this um, was uh, was ve was very interesting, and also dealing dealing with the model who posed as 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 Mark, because uh, Mark has some you know distinguishing characters uh, characteristics. Um, so yeah, that was that was an interesting part of it. But I I loved doing that. I loved. I loved making people laugh. I saw people crying. Um, oh, that was great. I loved that. I loved that. You don't get that with the book unless you do a reading. I love doing readings because you can kind of get a little bit of it then. Um, but yeah, that was great. It's grand. And that takes me on to your Edinburgh show for this year, which I believe you're, you're doing another one. I am. Um, I'm, doing, um, I'm doing a show called Safe, It's Not Okay. Um, at Greenside venues as part of the fringe. Um, this this is actually a pickup from my year in psychotherapy. So um, when when my mom died, I um, I became quite silent. So I went from this really uh, bouncy kid who was you know a bit of a chatterbox and always getting into scrapes and. And I, I, I became a bit of a, a sort of silent little dot, really. Um, I, it's called selective mutism, and then, and I just, I could, I just couldn't really speak in most circumstances, and um, nobody really minded because. Uh, because the, my question was always, well, where is she? You know, because nobody had said she died. Actually, what they said was it was a vicar um, and it was in the middle of the night and he said, your mum's gone to heaven now. Mm. And I, I, that doesn't mean anything. So is she coming back? Has she got a job as an angel? What's happening? Why is it not on the news? Because, right, when people die, it's on the news, right? It's on the television. And so I couldn't figure it out. And so... I used to really, and I knew I was annoying and upsetting people by asking questions. And so I just stopped asking questions. And so I guess that was most of, most of my dialogue at seven was questions, right? So, so it's about how that 
started as a way of me coping with a lot of things in life. So if, if I have any difficulties in life, rather than confront them, I tend to go quiet. I tend to kind of withdraw into myself. And I thought, we all do that to a certain extent. We all, we've all been in situations where somebody said something and we've wanted to speak out and for whatever reason, we've not spoken out. And so I started talking to people about this and I started saying, you know, tell me about a time when you didn't speak out. Um, and there were loads of really interesting stories coming out. And so it's a rally cry, really. Again, it's comedic as well. You know, it's, I once tipped a hairdresser for dyeing unfathomably a brown triangle into the back of my, my hair. I have no idea why that happened, but I tipped her and left the salon and, you know, never went back. Just, you know, what we now call ghosting. Um, and so, uh, and so, yes, it's about our, um, our inclination to go with the flow, our inclination not to speak out. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's serious, it's psychological, but also uh, funny. So, and going back to uh, the Darwins, you said it was um, seven years between novels. Have you got, are you working on something else? Is there going to be something a bit sooner or? Yeah, you... so um, obviously I'm working on the show at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, I'd also really like to do a, a, a graphic novel, oh. um, but I can't draw, so um, so I need an artist to work with. Um, but I, I really, I love that genre. I'm just kind of looking off to my left because I've got some graphic novels here. Um, they used to be written for, for much younger people. Um, but I've noticed that people like uh, Roz Chast, uh, she's a, a New York um, graphic graphic writer. She doesn't mm -hmm. write novels so so much, but she uh, she produces uh, she produces books. Um, and there's loads of humor in it. I think a lot can be said in in a visual. Uh, that it, you know, it might take a, 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 a writer or it might take me uh, a chapter to do. So I'm very interested in that. I'm always interested in something new anyway. Um, but I haven't got an idea for, for another novel. But don't tell my publisher that. <laughs> OK, we'll keep that secret. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting to you say about the visual, because I felt, or I do feel that The Darlings has got the, the potential to be dramatized, you know? It, yeah, it, yeah. It be. Is that something that you even think about when you're writing? Yes, um, so a couple of, uh, oh, listen to this for a job, right? Book scouts. Um, so they, they go out for film companies and their job is just reading books and deciding if they'd make a good film. Didn't right. even know that was a job. So, a couple of book scouts have been in touch um, and I know that one has certainly sent it to the next stage so it goes to the film company. Um, I don't know, I did a master's in script writing at Glasgow actually, Glasgow Caledonian, um, so and I did start writing it as a script and, and then I, I stopped, other, other things got in the way but um, I, I'd, oh, I'd love that you know, I'd love to see it on screen. Yeah, I think it would be fantastic. And have you 
cast your mark, darling? Do you think ideal casting? Yeah, I I cast when I start writing. So um, uh, I I go online and find people who look like the characters that that I'm writing about. So um, I spent uh, a, a nice afternoon finding Mark and Sadie. Um, it, it's called procrastination, I suppose. That really. Um, and then once I've got, once I, I and I print them out and I actually stick them um, on a notice board um, so that I can imagine them speaking and and I can imagine the way their bodies move when they speak and and I can imagine, you know, when Mark's on all fours in in that pub and the dogs biting at him. I know what he looks like. So that's easier for me to write, right? Because I know what he looks like. Um, but uh, ay, they can do what they want with it. As long as I get the film rights, they can cast who they like. <laughs> well, Angela, thanks so much for taking the time to chat to me. It's been a pleasure. Oh, it's been a pleasure for me too. Thank you. And we'll be back soon with someone completely different. Cheers. <laughs>